Welcome back, everyone. We are Lights Out Podcast. We are presented by 511 Media Group. You can find us on iTunes and Spotify and on the 511 Media YouTube channel, uh, as well as our socials on Facebook. So uh, we got a fun little special for you today. Um, We got some pretty positive feedback about Ted Bundy. Um, But before we get started this time, we want to give the trigger warning in advance that this is a very gruesome topic. Um, And it has some graphic depictions, sexual assault and rape, animal abuse, murder, drugs and violence, and pretty much anything you can imagine in between serial killers. Uh, So, uh, Summer, what are we talking about today? Today we're going to be talking about the infamous Jeffrey Dahmer. He is a convicted serial killer and sex offender who was claimed to have murdered 17 males between 1978 and 1991 and was killed by a fellow prison mate. Never made it to electric chair. It's too bad we don't do that more often. (laughs) Just get them into Hunger Games. (laughs) Put all the serial killers in a giant arena. See who survives and then put him on the chair. Um, (laughs) So he was discovered in 1991 with the dismembered body parts of over a dozen men in his apartment. Uh, He killed because he didn't want people to leave him. He was a lonely boy. He had attachment issues. That's this is like Gossip Girl, lonely boy. <laughs> He's Gossip Girl. <laughs> Spoiler alert. Sorry. Um, so Dahmer perceived his victors victims as lovers, which a lot of serial killers did not do. They usually dehumanize them, whereas Dahmer was like, "Hey, I I really I really kind of like this guy, but I also love his his entrails as well." Yeah, <laughs> so, I feel like it also could be because he was afraid of his sexuality. Yeah, I mean, he knew he was gay, though, so I feel like... Yeah, but homosexuality was really frowned upon during that. I mean, yeah, it's still an issue today, uh, equality-wise, but yeah. especially during the 70s and 80s. Which is kind of surprising because of how the cops treated him. I mean, he was in a black community at mm-hmm. the end of his time, but, I mean, they still weren't respected. So yeah. it's kind of shocking that the cops even respected him, especially knowing that he was with another man. I feel like <laughs> they respected him out of... The pure fact that he was a white male. Probably, but it just doesn't make sense because even cops now will discriminate against homosexuality. Yeah. So I, it, it confuses me a little bit, but his porn stash gave it away. So I don't <laughs> I don't know why it was. <laughs> it was it, not a big secret that Dahmer was gay. He looked gay. He was found with men. Like, it wasn't hard to put two yeah. and two together. So it, he also did tell cops that one of his victims was his lover. Yeah. You know, it, and they were fine with it. Like, no issues. They were just like, oh, yeah. They're well, like, okay, peace. It happens sometimes. I mean, he's underage, but uh, keep him under wraps. <laughs> <laughs> anyway, uh, so let, let's talk about his childhood summer. Yeah, so uh, Jeffrey Dahmer was born in Milwaukee, Wisconsin on May 21st of 1960 to Lionel and Joyce Dahmer. He was described as a energetic and happy child until the age of four, and he had a surgery to, collect, to correct a double hernia, which seemed to affect him tremendously. Oh, yeah. Uh, it, it it made him interested on what's inside the body. It was really a great pivotal moment in his young childhood. Yeah, but uh, it f- didn't help that... I'm sorry, I didn't mean to interrupt you there. No. <laughs> but it didn't help also that his parents were having that rocky marriage. And his mother, ever since she had Dahmer, was suffering from postpartum depression. And when she had his siblings, uh, it didn't get better. So mm-hmm. <laughs> that probably didn't help either. I feel like because he had that surgery, he's like, hey, something went wrong with my body. I want to see what's going on in everyone else's. Um, (laughs) 
He uh, became increasingly withdrawn following the birth of his younger brother and the family's frequent moves. By his teen years, he was disengaged, tense, and largely friendless. Um, Dahmer claims his necrophiliac urges began at 14, along with murder urges. That's exactly what I was thinking about at 14. Yeah, um, I didn't act on it. I got therapy, but... (laughs) (laughs) I didn't get therapy. I just went to high school. Okay. (laughs) And that was hell enough. (laughs) Um, So along with that, his father was a... uh, He was getting his master's in chemistry or something. He was becoming a chemist. Uh, So he worked at this um, radiation research center. So he would go daily with his father and watch like these cow inspections and sticking their hands up their butts. And he became fascinated with insides because of that. He should have just became a surgeon or a farmer or something like that. (laughs) There was a famous, um, not necessarily serial killer, but there was a doctor that abused his victims and used them for experiments. Uh, Ghost Adventures did an episode on that. No surprise. They they do have them in that field. (laughs) So, I mean... Good can't to we, know. Can't Don't we take get surgery. surgery one day? <laughs> yeah. Um, so he would go with his dad, um, and he found bones one day in his family's crawl space, and they he called them fiddlesticks, and they were rat ske- uh, ske- skeletons. Yes. Yes. I was gonna say skeleton. I wrote skeleton <laughs> down in my notebook. <laughs> so I was gonna say rat skeleton again. You know, just my spin on Nightmare Before Christmas. Um, and they moved to Ohio in 1966, and like she said, he became further withdrawn. Uh, he played a game called Infinity Land. I don't remember what it was. I wrote this down not explaining myself, so I apologize in advance, but he had a great imagination is what I'm getting from this. Um, he became interested in things that were gross. <laughs> so he asked his father what would happen if they soaked chicken bones in bleach one day at dinner. Um, and his father was so excited that he was like, yeah, like, let's do it. Uh, because he was excited that his father, his father was excited because he finally got interested in something that was not weird to him. He thought it was kind of like what he was into. So he just thought it was normal. Yeah. Especially since he was a chemist be like, oh, you're interested in what I do. Let me teach you. It's not like, oh, you're interested in bones or what happens when you dissolve them. Yeah. (laughs) Uh, So he bought him a chemistry set, and he used that chemistry set to test different chemicals on dead insects and animals, and typically the animals were ones that he found on the side of the road dead. Mm -hmm. Um, So he had a shed full of dead animals stripped of flesh, and he made a graveyard with headstones of animal skulls next to it. So he took all the roadkill and would do all these experiments, and then he would have a little graveyard for them, pet cemetery mixed with... uh, yeah, if you if you watch my friend Dahmer, you kind of see the shed in action. Mm-hmm. Um, so at fourteen, like she said, is when a big moment in his life took place. He started drinking. Um, it didn't make him happy, but it made him less miserable. Hence, he kept doing it. Uh, he would bring alcohol to school, which you also see in my friend Dahmer, I believe. Yeah, he would just bring it in like a water bottle. A lot of people did that in my high school too, but they yeah. weren't cur- they weren't killers. So at least in the movie. The- it wasn't in a water bottle he was just like yep was it a a beer can no it was a bottle of vodka ah (laughs) yeah (laughs) typical water yeah um so he his experiments became darker and then he found out he was gay (laughs) so he started stalking a male jogger every day and he found out he was attracted to this man and he had fantasies of him laying still 
so Jeffrey could explore his body. So he planned to make this happen, and he brought a baseball bat one day to knock him out, but he skipped jogging, so he missed out on the lovely experience. Um, And he never tried again, but it stuck with him. Mm -hmm. So that guy got off lucky, and he could have been the first victim of Jeffrey Dahmer, so... Shout out to you for taking a rest day. Yeah. <laughs> um, his classmates wound up finding his shack, and then he gained the reputation of an alcoholic oddball willing to do anything for a laugh, which also, if you watch the movie, you see him having these um, fake, yeah, fake seizures, um, impressions. <laughs> and <laughs> it's actually funny because I was watching the movie with you, mm-hmm. and he was imitating her, his mother's interior designer who yeah. had cerebral palsy. And that's in the movie as well. So I thought that was funny. And they called this little stunt of his doing a Dahmer. They didn't Mm -hmm. think it was weird. They thought it was hilarious. And I believe you said something about a fan club was made for that. Yeah. uh, Three guys that were seniors wanted to have one huge last hurrah. So they used Dahmer to create these scenes and pull in a Dahmer to like draw the attention and just wreck chaos in their last year. Little did they know. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) So uh, moving along the chain of events, he, his parents got a divorce um, because his mother had an affair at her father's funeral. Wow. um. Yeah. (laughs) Uh, So after that, the brother, David, became the primary concern of the parents and Dahmer basically became invisible at this point. Um, So the sense of abandonment he felt deepened a lot more when his father moved out and Mm -hmm. left finally they stayed together while they were separated until they finally he finally moved out so he felt completely abandoned at this point yeah uh his parents divorce what may have been the catalyst of turning his thoughts he had at 14 into actions and like you said he had a alcohol problem which spun out of control which actually ended up causing him to drop out of ohio state university yeah, so uh, his first victim uh, was in the summer of 78. His mother and brother went on a summer vacation, leaving him alone. And he had this fantasy of picking up a hitchhiker who happens to be named Stephen Hicks. At, and he smoked and drank, making Dahmer feel like there was a connection. Um, and he picked up Stephen on the side of the road. And after this happened, he wanted to go home. And then Jeff felt extreme rage and longing at the same time so he grabbed a barbell and hit him on the head twice and strangled him to death then he proceeded to undress and caress the body while masturbating on the corpse Mm -hmm. Uh, he also dismembered the corpse and packed the parts into plastic bags and buried them behind his parents home and then he crushed the bones and scattered them along a wooden ravine yes and prior to this he put the body in the crawl space and he put them in the garbage bags, but he allowed it to rot under the floorboards for a while before he decided to put it in the ravine. Um, But on his way there, he got pulled over by the police, and when he was asked what he was doing and transporting, he said it was garbage because he couldn't sleep. So he wanted to bring the garbage to dispose of it. Um, And the cop gave him a ticket for erratic driving, um, and so he was so shaken that he took the bag home and then buried it in the backyard because he was horrified. <laughs> um, and that was in my book that I marked the first time that he could have been caught and his killing would have been ended. At the first the first body, he could have been found out. Yeah, but instead, just, he just got a ticket for erratic driving. Just opening up the bags for just a second would have been like, oh, 
Okay. Rotting bodies, mind you. Like, this would have smelled. <laughs> yeah, they're like, no, that's just his B.O. <laughs> I don't know anyone who could smell that vial of rotting body parts to not tip off a cop. Like, you would instantly yeah. be told to get out of the car like, in today's hey, day. It smells like death in here. Can you step out of the car, sir? I guess we learned a lesson. Um, <laughs> so he took, alone. <laughs> <laughs> he took Stephen's head into his bedroom and hid the rest in a drain pipe. Um, his father found Jeff alone in his filth and was outraged and moved back into his home because he couldn't believe that his wife left his son alone for so long by himself. Um, and he moved in with his girlfriend, Sherry Jordan, at the time. So, um, like she said before, uh, he left Ohio State after two months and his father told him to join the army. Yeah, his father insisted he joined the army and he did enlist in late December of 1978 and was sent to Germany. By 1981, the army actually discharged him. And later, German authorities would investigate possible connections between Dahmer and murders that took place in the area at the time. But it is believed that he didn't kill anyone during his, uh, not employment, but I forget the word. Um, Deployment? Maybe that is. Yeah, yeah, <laughs> deployment. Uh, yeah, so he he was pulling the Dahmer in the, in the army. He was known for being a drunk. Uh, and while he failed at being a medic, he told his commanding officer that he couldn't stand the sight of blood to get out of it. Um, so this was what led him to be discharged, was the unwilling to perform his duties and drinking, which led to his discharge. So after he was discharged, he went back home and visited Stephen's body after returning to Ohio, um, he disposed of the rotten flesh and crushed bones and scattered the broken bones into a halo off a ledge behind his house, which I don't know how his parents wouldn't see that, but whatever. <laughs> so after this, he moves to Florida in 1981. Um, he lived in a motel for a while and got evicted, so he lived on the beach. <laughs> he moved back to Ohio in October of 1981 because he had no money, um, and his Drinking habits got him in a scuffle with police, and he was arrested for a multitude of offenses. And in this, he was sent to live with his grandmother in Wisconsin, um, where he behaved himself for years with only a few mess-ups. Um, the first one being uh, he got a job at the Milwaukee Blood Plasma Incorporation, um, and once he took home a vial and drank it but didn't like the taste. <laughs> yeah, gross. Yeah, uh, <laughs> I feel like there's a lot of contradiction here. He was in the army, said he couldn't handle the sight of blood, then works for a blood plasma. That's what you're hung up over, not the fart, not not the fact that he would dismember well, bodies with blood in yeah. it. <laughs> that too, but. <laughs> um, and then he got drunk and peed in front of around 25 people, so he lost his job from drinking. Um, so he had two years of sobriety after this, uh, followed by prayer and unemployment. Um, he privately chastised himself for being gay, not a homicidal necrophiliac. Um, wrong thing to be worried about yeah. in this situation. <laughs> but <laughs> uh, he was self-imposed and uh, it kept him from killing. So, <sighs> During his time in Ohio, before living with his grandmother, he was arrested for disorderly contact conduct and then he was sent to live with his grandmother in wisconsin and he was arrested for indecent exposure 
1986, he was arrested again for masturbating in front of two boys and received a one-year probation, and I did say boys. <laughs> so he got into a little bit before this again. He kind of was starting to get stir-crazy after his constant praying. Uh, so when he wasn't praying, he started to masturbate to the thoughts of men's dead bodies around four to 12 times a day. Don't know how you have enough juice for that, but good for you, sis. I don't um, even have enough energy <laughs> to get up that many times. <laughs> so this increased his need for companionship. So it led to him in 1984 hiding in a uh, store when not store window. He saw a mannequin in a store window. So he decided to hide in the shop until close and steal the mannequin. He he hoped that this mannequin would curb his habits, so he pretended it was real and only got rid of it once his grandma found out it was in his closet and he was embarrassed and he threw it away. So um, this led to the realization that no Dahmer in his family ever shamed him for his sexuality. Um, they seemed to be relatively supportive, so again, this guy lived a pretty normal, stable life besides his parents having a rocky marriage. He didn't have any abuse. His parents were mm -hmm. supportive. His grandmother was very supportive. She was blind to a lot of the stuff he did. I uh, feel like he <laughs> had a lot of internalized homophobia, which he projected outwards. I think so, too. I, I think the whole sobriety moment in his life kind of led him to go a little crazy, which is kind of ironic. Yeah. <laughs> um, so he got a job at the Ambrosia Chocolate Factory working the night shift. So he uh, maintained this job throughout his killing spree. Um, so he picked up drinking again after this. And he began, <laughs> he, began, he began the practice of frauderism, which is when you find pleasure in rubbing your crotch on other people's bodies. <laughs> yeah, I learned about that in one of my side classes. I was like, oh, wow. nice kink. Um, so... His brother came to visit, and <laughs> they had to share a bed, and Jeffrey decided to advance on him, no. and he was quickly rejected by his blood brother. I was really hope you weren't going to say <laughs> that. Uh, and so, in turn, he found willing partners at the bathhouses of Milwaukee. Uh, they were described as vehicles for his own pleasure, and got annoyed when he was asked for recipro reciprocity. Words are hard today. <laughs> it's okay. We all struggle with words. Uh, reciprocation? Re reciprocity. Oh, okay. Yeah, so okay. he would use the males for sex, um, but once he was asked to give it in return, he would be like, mm, no, <laughs> I'm not gay, yeah. <laughs> or something along those lines. That's what they call a pillow princess. <laughs> Okay, he's a he's a pillow princess. That makes him look a lot nicer than he is. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> um, so in 1986, he was prescribed Halcyon, I believe is how you say it, uh, for his sleeping problems and used them to drug men at the bathhouses and assault them. So people reported Dahmer, and on he only lost his membership when he overdosed a man into a coma, and the police were called. Or the police weren't called. The police were not called. He was just evicted from having his membership anymore. Okay. So despite multiple people reporting him for trying to sexually assault them while being drugged, that was okay with them. It was the fact that a man had to be put in a coma and hospitalized. I feel like that says something about the manager of this bathhouse. So that was number two on my list of times he could have been caught for his actions. Not could have been. Should have been. <laughs> So he drug men at Milwaukee's Club 219 and take them to a flop house called the Ambassador Hotel where he would masturbate. 
Wordsman, masturbate and lay on them because that was his shtick. Like he loved to just do something sexual and then lay on the bodies for that sense of companionship because Mm -hmm. there was no love in his life. Uh, He attended random 18-year-old boy's funeral and attempted to dig up his corpse a few days later. Thought that was weird. (laughs) And then in 1986, he was arrested for drunkenly masturbating at two 12-year-old boys on the riverbank. It was labeled as a misunderstanding. It said he was drinking and he went to relieve himself, um, not paying masturbating, which I don't know anyone who does that while camping. And the kids stumbled upon him while he was doing that, and he only gained a one-year suspension and counseling. <laughs> so the second counselor that he saw said his deviant behavior may escalate if no intervention is taken. Red flag. <laughs> and I guess that was ignored because then came his first victim. Yeah, clearly uh, someone should have been like, hey, this guy needs help. He He was just a sad person. Who had attachment issues, and if he got the proper help, maybe he wouldn't have killed anyone. But that didn't happen, so that's why we have the story here today. But when do people ever listen to the women in this cases? I'm just pointing it out there. This is just another example of cops not listening to women or anyone listening to women. Um, they still sh- struggle listening to women now. <laughs> do you want to talk about our dear Stephen? Uh, Stephen Hicks. No, we already talked about Stephen uh, The next Stephen. Yes, the other Stephen. <laughs> uh, in September of 1987, Dahmer got a hotel with Stephen Tuami. I'm guessing that's how you pronounce it, and I'm sorry. That's how we're, we're, we're calling it. He was yeah. only 25, by the way. Yeah, and they drank the following morning. Dahmer woke up to find Stephen dead with no recollection of the previous night. He bought a large suitcase to transport the body to his grandma's where he dismembered and masturbated on the corpse before disposing of the remains. He was then kicked out in 1988 from his grandma's becoming ti- from his grandma becoming tired of his late nights and drunkenness. I believe she thought he just kept having all these men over and being drunk all the time, not um having these men over and then killing them. <laughs> never asking what happened the morning after. <laughs> she never saw the walk of shame. Apparently for Dahmer the morning after this kill, uh, he killed him by beating him to death and caved in his chest from beating him so hard with his hands, but he doesn't remember any of this. But he found the bruises on his own body from beating the man, which is how he killed him. So they he didn't overdose him. He didn't do anything. He literally killed him without knowing it. So I don't know how drunken like rage he had or if he was just too drunk to remember or if he just dissociated i don't know but he beat this man so hard his own chest came in um so yeah he stuffed his body in his grandma's house but he kept the head and polished the skull to keep as his trophy so this was the first head in his trophy collection so um it actually wound up not being a trophy anymore because he found out quickly that bleach eats up bones so he had to throw it away because it was ruined and he was very upset about this <laughs> um so after a while his grandmother also started noticing a smell and his dad found rotted flesh slime in the basement i'm picturing what that might look like <laughs> and i feel sick to my stomach <laughs> i picture what it smells like um and jeffrey said that it was an animal and his father said he should move on to be a productive member of society which led him to his next victim <laughs> like okay let's go <laughs> Uh, this one was named James Doxtador. He was 14 years old. He was waiting outside the club for men, um, and Jeffrey offered him $50 to spend the night with him. 
While attempting to go home, Jeffrey made a move um, and made him a drink that was mixed with five crushed sleeping pills. And once asleep, he strangled him. Um, And once he was dead, he spoke to this corpse and then annually raped the corpse. And this was his first act of necrophilia that was known of. Um, And after, his grandmother complained of a smell and he disposes the body and keeps the head, which is his first actual head that survived. Okay. (laughs) Yikers. Um... (laughs) What I get, so doing this research, he obviously uses his thing is drugging his victims, killing them, raping them, or doing something sexual with them, and then either keeping some body parts or disposing of the body. But what I don't get is how some of these victims wake up <laughs> because this man gave him five sleeping pills. You would not wake up from that. I barely wake up from my normal sleeping pill in the middle of the night. <laughs> When I take melatonin, I don't wake up till the next day. <laughs> so how are these boys waking up like two hours later disoriented? Like I would I mean, not be able to wake it's up. It's possible that by chance these people already were prescribed sleeping medication and they woke up because they were used to the medication and they're like, oh, I still feel kind of asleep. And they're all like, I don't groggy. know, man, he was 14. This guy wasn't going to wake up. This guy was 14 years old, and that was five pills. <laughs> That's too much for his body. Yeah. Also, you have to look at the victim's, like, body size, because if they were, like, smaller boys, yes. I don't know how on earth they could have woken up, but if they, like, actually had I wonder if it would have killed him anyway yeah. if he didn't wake up, because, I mean, you can overdose on that stuff. Yeah, so, absolutely. Uh, <laughs> this led to his next victim. Uh, his next victim was Richard Guerrero. He was 23 years old, and it was the exact same routine, except he bleached the skull. Now, uh, did this skull actually stay in contact? <laughs> I don't believe so. And I think that that made him angry. God again. damn it, Dahmer. <laughs> <laughs> so then he moved on to Ronald Flowers Jr., who was 23 years old as well. Um, and this is my third time I marked that he should be caught. So Jeffrey sexually assaulted and drugged him into a field and was reported to police once he woke up, but he couldn't be proven that it was Dahmer, so he wasn't charged with the crime. Mm-hmm. But the but this one didn't die. He was just reported that, you know, uh, this guy tried to sexually assault me in the middle of a field, and he drugged me, but you can't prove it, so I guess it doesn't matter. He was also a black man. I should put that out. He was yeah. an African-American male, so he probably just wasn't getting anywhere with this case. Yeah, because especially with rape cases, cops have a hard time believing victims, no matter especially their gender. in general. Yeah, because <laughs> they see men, they're like, no, you're you're a man. There's no way that, that a woman would do that. I'm like, okay, well, they can, and also there's men that would do that. Uh, so after this event, um, the investigations became too much. They were asking a lot of questions. There was people coming by the house a lot. So his grandmother got annoyed and kicked him out. Uh, so he felt another abandonment from this, and he moved to Milwaukee. We're going <laughs> to go back a second, actually. Okay, okay. sorry. And, uh, <laughs> in September of uh, 86, he had an encounter with a 13-year-old Lo- Loatian boy. Sumsack. What was that? His name's Somsack. Okay, thank you. Uh, His last name's really hard to pronounce. It's Synthasomphone. What she said. (laughs) (laughs) With this encounter, it resulted in charges of sexual exploitation and second-degree sexual assault, and he pled guilty this time, uh, claiming that the boy looked much older instead of just... Oh, he's so full of shit. You know what a 13-year-old boy looks like. I don't think a 13-year-old boy could pass as an 18-year-old boy, but... 
I know I couldn't have. Uh, people still think I'm 16 years old and I'm 22 years old. Me. <laughs> I feel that as well. Um, I actually got ID'd once. They didn't believe it was my ID. But anyway. <laughs> so uh, Jeffrey approached this kid with a Polaroid and said that he wanted to pay models $50 a session. So $50 back then was a lot of money. Mm-hmm. Uh, so this was another case of him drugging somebody, but he f- was still awake And he fondled him, and then the boy left. And as you said, he was charged with second-degree sexual assault um, and enticing a child for immoral purposes at work. (laughs) So um, he was worried when the police had a search warrant for the Polaroids because he still had the skull in his closet. So again, number four, uh, he was prescribed more sleeping pills after this. Oh, just give him more ammunition. Told you words are hard today. today. Yeah. Um, so then we move on to the next victim, Anthony Sears. Uh, he promised him a photo shoot, drinks, and sex if he wanted it. Uh, he was drugged, and then he laid on his chest, and then strangled him as he was waking up because he got scared. (laughs) This was in March of 89. He did lure, drug, and strangle, and sodomize, and photographed, and dismembered, and disposed of Anthony Sears, an aspiring model. Poor guy. Um, yeah, he, he kept his, his genitals and his head and this guy. Oh. This was the first genitals that I know he took. Okay. Um, so he <laughs> he called the local taxidermist and asked how to preserve animal remains, as if this is a normal conversation that this taxidermist has. Um, and he told him it was acetone that can help preserve them. So he removed the mummified scalp, put makeup on it, and then masturbated with the skin. Of the school. You know, if I worked at the taxidermy place, I would have been like, come in and we'll do it for you. <laughs> yeah. Hey, I charge like 10 bucks. Yeah. Come, come give your animal to me. Yeah. Um, <laughs> so during his trial for uh, some sack, he stored the remains in a cosmetic case in his locker at work. So this was just chilling at his work locker. Um, <laughs> so in May of 1989, he was officially charged. Yes. So... <laughs> Do you have the what he what he blamed all of this on? What what excuse he used in um, court? I do not. What was his excuse? <laughs> he blamed it on isolation and his severe depression. But the di- <laughs> listen to this. The DA didn't buy it, and she wanted to give him five years. This is the time where he should have been caught for the fifth time. Mm-hmm. But the judge was like, "Nah, he he's okay." So she only sentenced him to one year with work release uh, program with five years probation. Yeah, um, Dahmer had argued that he's seen the error of his ways, and this marked a turning point in his life. (laughs) Uh, His defense counsel argued that he needed treatment, not incarceration, hence why he got out of the five years, um, and the judge did agree to the daytime release, and he worked during the day to return to the prison at night. You want to know it's ironic? So, (laughs) around Thanksgiving... Uh, when he was on leave, uh, he was drugged and woke up suspended and bound while being sodomized with a candle until he screamed so loud that he was a let go. So he basically had the same thing happen to him, but he screamed so loud that they were like, okay, like this was getting weird. So they let him go. But he had the same thing happen to him, but he didn't change his ways. Yeah. He, I don't want to say a normal person, <laughs> but an individual who was 
giving these acts and actually got to taste their own medicine should be like, hey, this isn't nice. This doesn't feel good. Like, this is pretty heinous. Maybe I shouldn't do this. But he's like, you know, I like being on the giving end of this. <laughs> I'm not a receiver. It gives me too much pleasure to let go. Um, so he was released from prison on March 2nd, 1990. And around two weeks later, he grabbed a, the cosmetics case. So it was still in his locker. <laughs> at and Where was work. he working at this time? Still the chocolate factory. Okay. Uh, and he moved it into his apartment. Um, so this is the new apartment. This is the one that is the famous apartment that he was only in for like a, a couple weeks or whatever. The apartment. Yeah. <laughs> so... The perk of this for Dahmer was he was the only white man in a poor black neighborhood. So police officers saw him as a comforting presence and something familiar. So they tended to gravitate more towards seeing him as a good person rather than something um, that they would fear in a normal African-American community. So this led to Raymond Lamont Smith. So he wanted to give him $50 to do a shoot. He spiked his drink and then strangled him. He arranged his corpse in positions for Polaroids that he liked, and then he dissected the body, boiled the parts in an 80-gallon kettle with water and Soilex to separate the flesh and bone, rinsed the bones in the sink, and then soaked in the trash can filled with water and acid for one week, and then flushed the slush down the toilet. This is a thorough... This is what I read in the book. Yeah. (laughs) This is exactly... And I was like, this is so descriptive that people need to understand like what this man was doing but how would that not smell for a week in his room it was in his bedroom nonetheless i feel like he must have a poor sense of smell because <laughs> i don't know there's been several times where it should have like i mean maybe the first time he left it sitting there for a long maybe time it did. killed his sense of smell so he just didn't know maybe he stuffed some like acid cotton balls up his nose and it burned his his nose hair so bad that he can't smell anymore that would make sense right like how do you not get disgusted by the own things that you're doing so much (laughs) i mean many serial killers end up not getting disgusted by what they're doing so (laughs) maybe he uh, liked the smell to mention he also kept this skull and he spray painted this one he spray painted this one do we know what color (laughs) i don't know but crafty he diys not not only was he a serial killer he was an artist (laughs) He kind of was. I mean, he had a shrine at one point. I'll get to that. But he had a shrine in his apartment. So this led to Eddie Smith. And the ironic part is that this was occurring on the night before the 1990 Gay Pride Parade in Milwaukee. So he bought a freezer in attempt to preserve his dead body. Um, He acidified the remains and attempted to dry out the skull in an oven. But it exploded in his oven. (laughs) Didn't know that was possible. I would be sad over the oven. <laughs> oh, well, Dahmer was upset because it was a wasted kill because he got no trophy. My bad. My bad. <laughs> you were worrying about the wrong thing. <laughs> I like cooking, so I was like, oven, no. <laughs> so he was so distressed after this that his parole officer said that Jeffrey needed extreme supervision because he was so distraught over losing a skull. <laughs> um, so she recommended an at-home check. But guess what happened? No one came. And if they did come, they would have seen the mess that his apartment was. And that could have been the sixth time he got caught. But nonetheless, he was not. <laughs> so this led to Lewis, 
who was 15 years old. This time, he was offered $200 to do a nude photo shoot and have sex with him. So Dahmer was out of sleeping pills. Uh (laughs) Uh-oh. And so he had him come back for another session, losing the money this time because all the other guys were dead. So he never had to pay out until now. So he returned for another session and Dahmer hit him in the head with a rubber mallet and he didn't lose his consciousness and he got angry and he left. So he then on his, he was on his way to the bus station and he returned asking for bus money because it's the least he could have done and attempted to strangle him. But again, he was too strong. So he was like, no. So Jeffrey paid for a taxi home and then threatened to murder him if he ever told anyone, which I don't know how he could possibly find him again, but whatever (laughs) i still would have told i would have snitched hard oh yeah like hey uh this guy paid paid me money to sleep with him also he hit me in the head with a rubber mallet and then he tried to strangle me and And then then he told me he would murder me if i told anyone so pretend you didn't hear this so here i am please protect me (laughs) but his parents were so concerned that they took him to a hospital and they reported jeffrey um so this is number seven because he was he was still on probation, so by definition, they should have had him booked again. Um, but they wrote it off as a lover's quarrel that went bad. Mm-hmm. So then Jeffrey took an interest in tropical fish. What a lovely hobby. <laughs> because of the puffer fish had such human-like eyes. I, I'm trying to picture the pu- puffer fish. Uh, yes, I guess. Um, he would love Shih Tzus. <laughs> <laughs> Seriously, Ben's I mean, got some human-looking-eyed dogs. Okay, if that was his interest. Yeah, I mean... <laughs> Could have gotten I, something a little cheaper. I do think that Dahmer was just fascinated by the materials <laughs> inside of these creatures. I don't think... Maybe. It, said the, it said the fish, the, the human eyes. He didn't kill the fish. He just wanted the eyes. I don't know. As far as I know, he didn't kill the fish. Either way, <laughs> <laughs> I guess fish were spared in this in this one. Um. <laughs> what a good guy! He didn't kill a fish. Um. <laughs> Next batter up is uh, Ernest Miller. So he was also offered fifty dollars, but he was drugged and Jeffrey th- slit his throat. So this was a new thing that he hadn't done before. Usually it was strangulation, but this time he must have been tired. Uh, so he kissed his head and then apologized for his transgressions because that's going to make it better. Yeah, he went improv on this one. And then this was when he stored the body for cannibalism. So he dined and relived his kills via his Polaroids while masturbating. And he only ate the victims that he considered perfect. Just to put that out there. Gonna put it out there. Perfect doesn't exist, Dahmer. Um. <laughs> Summer, this is a delusional man who was killing gay men for the fun of it and then yes. eating them. I don't think that his definition of perfect should be taken into account. <laughs> what a creature. <laughs> Next up is David Thomas. After drugging him, he realized he wasn't attracted to him. And he only killed him because he thought that he would be angry when he woke up. We're going to take a moment of silence for this situation. <laughs> that's a, that's not a good reason. There isn't a good reason to kill people necessarily. But 
I don't want him mad at me, so I'm going to kill him. Why not just dip? Like, why not just be like, all right. I'm like, oh. <laughs> See you later, big boy. Like your cut, G, and leave, you know? Like, <laughs> just, just get out of there. Why do you have to kill the guy? He doesn't even know yet. Yeah. Like, I he mean, could be pissed when he wakes up. But, if but he's, you won't be there. <laughs> if he's coming out of a drug haze, not knowing where he is, and probably naked, and he's alone, he probably just thought he had, so he had a great night. Not that he was going to get killed. <laughs> if he was attractive. I mean, yeah, even if like he didn't think he had a good night, he probably thought he was molested. But But there was no one there. Yeah, no <laughs> one's there and he's not dead, but that's not what happened. Like, come on, man. That that, that cannibalism's getting your mm-hmm. head already. Uh so after this he failed to get men to his apartment for five months. And then came Curtis Strotter. He was willing to do anything to stay in his college. He was struggling, and he took Jeffrey's offer for uh, cash after having sex. So Jeffrey strangled him during oral sex, and then he dismembered the body. Playden had sex with his intestines and decapitated the skull and placed it with the others. So he was the third skull in the collection. I have so many questions about the intestines. How? Why? No. Don't picture it. Just I, let it happen. I'm, I'm a visual person, and I let it happen. <laughs> uh, <laughs> so between April and July of 1991, he killed seven men. Uh, murder wasn't Jeffrey's M.O. The body at the end was. So uh, he wondered what having an alive victim for pleasure would be like. So came Errol Lindsay. He wasn't gay, but he took cash to have sex with Jeffrey, which is kind of (laughs) gay. And he changed it by drilling a hole into his brain and injecting hydrochloric acid. I like my uh, abbreviation. I did learn something in my two years of chemistry. Good job. Uh, (laughs) uh, He was hoping to make him a sex zombie of sorts, but he woke up confused with a headache, and then Jeffrey strangled him and then skinned him and then flushed his skin down the toilet three weeks later. Yeah, he developed rituals with his killings and experimented with quite the variety of chemicals, meaning of disposing and also crude lobotomies, lobotomies, drilling into live victims and injecting them with acid. You Uh, know, you can never say his dad never taught him anything. You're right. (laughs) If you want to really think about it, his dad created the monster he was. (laughs) In a way. Like it you, started out the curiosity. Yeah. It was like, hey, you can learn about bones and melt the flesh off. Here's a chemistry set. Have fun. Yeah. <laughs> In um, May 27th of 1991, Dahmer's neighbor, Sandra Smith, called the police and reported that a Asian boy was running naked in the street. Oh, you are so much farther ahead of me. <laughs> <laughs> let's let's hold on to the to Konarak for a minute, the brother of the guy. Um, before this, I believe the police were also called because his neighbors were noticing a smell, a strong smell coming from his apartment. Um, so the building manager confronted Jeffrey and he said that food spoiled in his freezer and his fish died. So that's why it smelled as if that's a good excuse. So they believed him. Yep. He didn't press more and Jeffrey felt more confident in this and he started to store bodies longer because he could get away with rotten food and dead fish. So he then killed Tony Hughes, and he left his body in his room, just dead corpse for days for it to rot. And then came Konarak. Continue. (laughs) (laughs) 
Um, when the police arrived, the boy was incoherent, and they took Dahmer's word, a white man in a poor African-American area, that the boy was ni- his 19-year-old lover, and was at, he was actually fourteen year, a 14-year-old brother of the Loatian boy he molested three years earlier. Subsec. <laughs> the yeah, he po- fell into the same trap that yeah. his brother did, which I don't know how you could possibly ever fall into the same trap that your brother did, considering, you know... His brother almost died, mm-hmm. um, and to the same man. Like, couldn't you describe it to your brother? Maybe, like, yeah. hey, this guy with a weird porn stash is asking for Polaroid pictures. Didn't think that was weird. No. <laughs> uh, yeah, so he did the same thing, and he... So the reason he was found running around the streets, right, is because he ran out of beer, so he went to the local bar to go get a drink while this boy was passed out in his apartment. So he woke up. Well, he was gone and he was confused and naked. And the reason the police didn't believe them is because three women saw him and tried to help him until Dahmer came around the corner and said that he would handle it from here. And the women like would not let go. They were like, there's something wrong with this situation. We got to get him help. Um, and he, the boy resisted. So obviously like he wasn't a lover. He was resisting him and Jeffrey put him in a headlock so <laughs> this caused a scene and the cops were called and the fire department was there, but he told the cops that it was his drunk boyfriend and the women saw the truth, but they were told to shut the hell up and go home by the police. So this is number eight on my list because the police escorted them back to the room and they poked around and then they were joking about the smell in his apartment, but then left. Mm-hmm. He was just, it was a domestic disturbance and... As soon as the police left, he began his typical ritual. And if the police conducted a basic search, like they should have many times, they would have found Dahmer's 12th victim, Tony Hughes, before his arrest. Uh, He actually killed four more men. Yep. So he would have found that body. But instead, he decided to um, take the head of Tony and the little boy and put them in the fridge for later. A little snack. So uh, Milwaukee's gay community actually was reporting all these disappearance, but no account was investigated, shocker, and taken seriously by the police. So he then tried to inject hot water into the next victim. So while he lasted longer, he still died when Jeffrey was at work. So sad face, he didn't get to survive and have be a living sex zombie. So the last month of his freedom consisted of eating only male flesh. Delicious. Uh, I guess you save groceries, I guess. He was poor anyway, so. Saving money so he can get more sleeping pills. <laughs> <laughs> I can't imagine the cost of those back then. So in July of 1991, the apartment owner was threatening eviction because of his smell, and he turned his bedroom into a vat to dissolve bodies in a 57-gallon tub. He was then fired from his job after six years. And then came Oliver Lacey. He killed him, had sex with his corpse. His heart was taken and stored for later consumption, and his skeleton was used for his shrine that he built. The altar was nothing more than a masturbation station, as what a is what they called it. Masturbation station. Yes. Oh my! <laughs> this is where his Polaroids were and some remains of victims. So evidence central. Yes. So Joseph Brad Braid Braid. 
I think that's an H. (laughs) He was a struggling family man who was lured in by Jeffrey and was strangled with a strap. He had a wife and daughter and he was just looking to help them. So he was getting a job, but instead found Jeffrey. Uh, So his head was stored in the fridge and his body was in the bathtub with Oliver Lacey. So there are two dead bodies just chilling in his bathtub. Yeah. Um, He also showered with them. Just, like, stood over their body. I don't know how that would possibly work with two grown men sitting in your bathtub. I can barely have myself in the shower, much less two other men laying down dead. (laughs) Um, Anyway, uh, so (laughs) Tracy Edwards went over for a beer, and when he tried to leave because he, he was just filling his social obligation, Jeffrey put on a handcuff around his wrist and pulled a knife on him and told him he would die if he didn't do what he said. But Jeffrey only wanted to watch The Exorcist 3, which was his favorite movie, and drink beer. That's all he wanted. Nothing more. Until he went to grab his Polaroid, and then he punched him and kicked him uh and got free he ran into the two cops on the street asking if they could get jeffrey to give him the key he didn't want any trouble he just wanted the handcuffed off his wrist and these officers were named robert roth and rolf mueller so they brought him back to the apartment jeffrey invited the cops inside don't know why he would do that where they noticed the smell and then the polaroids but then noticed that they were taken in the same room And the officer told his partner to arrest Jeffrey and he tried to escape, but he was caught because he's a frail little man and there were two cops. So you want to talk a little bit more about the arrest and leading up to his trial? Yeah, he was arrested on July 22nd, 1991. The body parts were found in Dahmer's refrigerator and the Polaroid photographs of his victims, which were associated with his killing spree. The two Milwaukee officers, like you said, were led to the apartment where Tracy Edwards, a 32-year-old African-American man, might I add that all of his, I don't want to say all, most most of his victims victims were all African-American. Especially Um, in the end. They were, I believe, all African-American. They investigated due to Edwards' claim of being drugged and restrained by a weird dude. (laughs) Yeah, so um, in this... He confessed in detail to all 17 murders, and he attempted to atone for the pain he caused the community, Um, but he became a symbol of Milwaukee's race problem of the 80s, um, as there were 80% white police officers at the time. Um, And funnily enough, the cops who returned Konarak to Jeffrey, the older brother of the little boy that he got written off as a lover's quarrel um they were suspended but later were reinstated and named officers of the year for letting a little boy get killed what great officers yeah classic uh while they were at the apartment edwards claimed that the knife that he was threatened with was in the bedroom and when they went inside the house not house apartment they found polaroids of the dismembered Bodies laying around, along with a head in the fridge, three more in the freezer, and a catalog of other horrors such as preserved skulls and jars containing genitalia. Could you imagine being a part of that investigative crew and just seeing all of the horrors that were in there? Like, could you just imagine? Like, there was no crime at the time that was as gruesome and disgusting as Jeffrey's. So going into this apartment, could you just, could you just imagine? Well, if you weren't ready for this business, you sure were after this case. Oh, yeah. You certainly learned how to get a good stomach after this case. Yeah. This is the one that set you up for the rest of your career. 
So, so props to those people <laughs> who cleaned up. <laughs> good for them. You really, you did a good thing. You got a good stomach. <laughs> um, so he was charged with 12 murders as five weren't able to be identified or the bodies weren't found. One of the two, they didn't specify. Uh, he tried to plead insanity, but the judge saw that he had the ability to stop killing, but he just clearly didn't want to. Uh, so after a three-week trial, he was sentenced with 15 consecutive life sentences. Yeah, his trial began in January of 1992, given that the majority of his victims were African-American. There was a eight-foot barrier of bulletproof glass dividing him and everyone watching, pretty What's much. What's the point? Just he was probably going to get attacked. End it quick. Yeah. They, he was not getting out of this this time. No. There was no way he was getting out no. of this. Um, Dahmer initially pled not guilty to the charges, despite having confessed to them in interrogation, and he eventually changed his plea to guilty by virtue of insanity, but the judge ultimately deemed him aware of his crimes and decisions on February 15th of 1992. Yep. After 10 hours of jury discussion, they found him guilty and but sane. And charged him with 15 consecutive life terms, like you said, but then also got a 16th. What made the judge, despite all the clear evidence piled up against him and a uh, confession, made them decide that, hey, maybe he's not guilty? And it took them 10 hours with this shrine of evidence, <laughs> all of these actual victims that did get released, the eight times he should have been caught, they're like, we need 10 hours to think this over. Yeah, one of the only cases I know that took around that long in a single trial was the Casey Anthony case. Yeah. And that was because she built such a good uh, case for her that they couldn't decide. But there was yeah. evidence and a confession. Like, there should have been no like, like oh, two you minutes. <laughs> there we go. That's wow, that was gross. All right, so he's guilty, right? Yep. All right, let's get back out there, boys. Yeah. Uh, so he was in prison. Uh, he didn't get to meet Shockey, though. So he had two attempts on his life. The first attempt on his life in prison was uh, an inmate trying to slit his throat with a sharpened toothbrush during a church service. And after this, he was recommended to have protection, and he denied it. So <laughs> this is one stubborn man. <laughs> I don't understand his logic in this situation. I don't know if like there the guilt piled up too much and he was just like, at this point, just kill me. Like, I'm going to die either well, way. There's I don't actually, know. I have a quote from Dahmer that this has never been a case of trying to get free. I didn't ever want freedom. I wanted death for myself. So he was OK not, not having protection. Do what normal people do and not kill people and like go get therapy and, you know, Find a different way. Some people don't like to take the easy route. <laughs> so the inmate that wound up killing him was named Christopher Scarver. He was a schizophrenic who believed that he was the son of God. Oh, okay. I actually <laughs> have a friend whose father is very similar to that. <laughs> is it him? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, how'd you know? <laughs> so he killed Jeffrey by caving in his skull with a 20-inch metal bar from the weight room they were cleaning and there is an urban legend that said Jeffrey was fatally sodomized with a broom handle. And funnily enough, the second inmate that he wound up killing that day was also on cleaning duty and he was using a broom. Mm -hmm. Yeah, he was killed on November 28th of 1994 by Mr. Scarver. 
Dahmer was assigned to work with two other convicted murderers, Garver and Jesse Anderson, after they have been alone to complete the task. Guards returned to see Scarver had beaten both men with a metal bar from the prison weight room. Dahmer was pronounced dead an hour later, and Anderson succumbed to his injuries days later. But in 2015, Scarver spoke to New York Post about the reason for killing Dahmer, and he said he was disturbed by his crimes and how he would fashion severed limbs from prison food to antagonize other mates. So... Basically, did we, did we not learn anything from Ted Bundy? Yeah, did we not? Did we not learn about you know maybe a notorious serial killer needing a little bit of guard attention, Just especially a after an attempt on his life? Even though he denied protection, what are these guards doing? Seriously, what you are know, they doing? They they said, okay, I'm gonna go get a snack. All right, uh, I got a poker game to finish, but I'll be back in like 20 minutes. Don't kill each other. Just have fun. Play in nice. the weight room. Three killers. Nothing can go wrong. No, nothing <laughs> at all. Also, in 1996, after Dahmer's death, a group of Milwaukee businessmen bought more than $400,000 of items Dahmer used on his victims, including blades, saws, handcuffs, and even his notorious fridge. They destroyed them, trying to dis- distance the city of Milwaukee from Dahmer's actions. Like, the fact that it happened is going to erase everything. No, it, it, no matter what anyone does, it won't ever be erased. What yeah. he did is so disgusting and vile and cruel. And the fact that, you know, he did all these things is just proof that there are seriously ill people in the world and that we need to start believing evidence when it is laid out in front yeah. of us. And maybe, you know, watching over deadly people in prison. <laughs> yeah. Uh, it seems like a common theme here. Once they're in the prison, they're like, okay, they're here. You know, maybe we should watch him a little bit. They they did it with Hann- Hannibal Lecter, and he still escaped. So, I mean, <laughs> yeah, he's not real, bear in mind. But yes. the point being, he was under extreme watch. He was also very smart, though, and Jeffrey, poor Jeffrey, didn't seem that, that wise. But <laughs> the point I, it still stands that we should be having some higher security. And I'm sure there yeah. are more maximum security serial killers out there, but... Still, I mean, Ted Bundy, literally right before this. Like, America was going through it at this time. Yeah. (laughs) Also, I feel like, at least in the beginning, Dahmer didn't believe what he was doing was wrong, since he was just taking animals that were already dead and just seeing what they were underneath. While it's weird, I'd rather have someone pick up roadkill and do something with it than having them kill multiple gay men. Yeah. Which, by the way, is pretty common nowadays. Um, There will be... The people who go to pick up roadkill and they will sell it to people to sell the bones. Nice. At yeah. least, at least it's for a good cause. You know, yeah. they're they're already gone. Don't, yeah, it's don't like hurt a something donation. that's still alive. Yeah. <laughs> please. He could have just liked bones and Not left it at that. Weird. <laughs> yeah. Bought bones from some place, or just become a taxidermist. Yeah, just- I think there's many career paths he should have taken, but uh, he wanted to be an entrepreneur. <laughs> Uh, he didn't even, he didn't, he took everything for himself. He didn't do anything for anyone else. Don't call him an entrepreneur. It was all for himself. He was, he was a dictator in his own right. Yeah. Yeah. Um, he was a fucked up man. We're just going to say that. <laughs> and on that note, uh, take a minute to unpack from this episode. Uh, go take a bath or something. Meditate. Just de-stress from this. Don't meditate on this. Put it, put it out of your mind. Uh, <laughs> but nonetheless, we hope you enjoyed it. 
Uh, we just wanted to make sure that everyone got the clear image of what serial killers are actually like so we can stop fantasizing them and fantasizing toxic men. Uh, so on that note, uh, there are two new podcasts coming to the 511 Media Group family, Conversations About Nothing and Play It Loud, a rock and roll po- podcast. Look for these podcasts later in the month. And as well as checking out our social media, leave a comment on one of our posts. Go like our Instagram. Send us something we should do. Be fun. Tell us we're doing a good job. Let us know. Give us feedback. And we'll see you all next week. <laughs>